podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. For me, today's episode is a story of what can happen when three magic ingredients come together. The first is a laptop. The second is perseverance and endurance over the course of many years. And the third is a true belief sustaining you through all that, that making a business on the internet that can change your life is a reality that you can create for yourself. Today, we'll be talking to Dom Wells, whose story includes these three elements. And as we had this conversation, he had many insightful and practical things to say about the entrepreneurial journey. I always saw people quit and I'd say, your article's ranking position nine, like you're almost there. Just another month and maybe your website will make you some serious money. But they just don't see it because until you've experienced that, maybe you can't see it. The biggest mistakes I made early on were picking niches that were crazy competitive, but also just thinking I had to go like down a single product, very narrow angle rather than just being a very informative resource. So quickly, a bit of background on Dom, who is a member of our private community, the DC, and he'll mention that. Dom started out, as many do, by building affiliate marketing sites. And one of the reasons listeners start with affiliate marketing is that there's very low barrier to entry in getting started. But that does not mean, don't confuse barrier to entry with ease of finding success. And you're going to hear about that today. But since that time, he's gone on to establish a substantial spinoff business from what was effectively a side hustle while he was still doing his full-time job teaching English in Taipei. So let's roll back the clock. It's 2009 and Dom is beginning to think it's time to shake things up a bit. Teaching English in Taiwan is great. It is very much comfortable and something you can do and have a very easy life. But I thought in 10 years time, I'm probably still going to be comfortable and easy and, and still making that 1500 two grand a month. And I kind of wanted something more. But at the time, it was like 2009, the global economy was you know, not doing very well. I wasn't really sure did I want to stay longer in Taipei? Did I want to go home and try and do a master's? Did I want to figure something out? My parents were saying, if you've got a job there, you might as well stay because there aren't any jobs back home in the UK. I was 24 years old, I think. So I was in a position where I was very comfortable, but I didn't really know what to do with myself. And my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she bought me a couple of Rich Dad Poor Dad books and I thought, well, I'll give them a go. Not really interested in this kind of thing. I didn't go to business school. I don't know anything about running a business or even coming up with a good idea or anything. It said basically successful people, instead of thinking why they can't do something or whether or not they can do something, they just ask themselves how they can do something. 
And while that's a little bit of a kind of, it sounds like a little bit of a wishy-washy answer, when you do start embracing that kind of mentality, you do tend to just start asking questions and you start to be a bit more curious. You start to explore different business models. And for me, it was a case of that's where I started thinking, well, you know, maybe I can do something. What can I do? Should I learn about stocks? Should I learn about real estate? One of the next books I read was The 4-Hour Workweek, which I'm sure everyone listening to this is familiar with. And that was much more of a blueprint. Again, I still ended up finding my own route. The message was just kind of learning to figure out for yourself how you could start to go about achieving what you wanted to achieve. I recently read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Tom, and I was struck by how you're left at the end of the book basically thinking, uh, I agree with you, but what do I do? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's probably one of the biggest criticisms of the books is that essentially you end up just buying his next book because you think, well, maybe the answer's in that one. <laughs> I guess I flirted with different things for a few years. It was actually shortly after I read Four Hour Work Week, which I really started to get traction. And it was kind of by accident. I remember I was thinking about lots of different business ideas or muses, as Tim called them. And I was still really suffering a bit of paralysis analysis. One day I saw what was clearly a scam advertised on the internet. And I was thinking, I think because I had this kind of business curiosity at the time, I was thinking, how is this scam working? Why is no one calling out the scam? Like, I thought, how are they allowed to advertise scams online? I guess I was kind of naive. What did it look like? It was one of those ones that I don't know if you remember, they were pretty prolific back in 2011, 12. It was like, a fake news article and it said you can get paid just for posting links in Google and then they had all these fake comments at the bottom saying stuff like oh yeah I bought the pack yesterday it works and I think you have to sign up for like $50 or something like that and you get this pack which is just nothing I kind of researched it and I actually stumbled across a website by someone who is now one of my best friends and he runs a website called i've tried that.com and the premise of his website is he tries scams <laughs> so that other people don't lose money. And then how he monetizes that. What's his name? Steve Rosinski, spelt with a W and then a bunch of letters afterwards that I can't pronounce. <laughs> so Steve basically was like, look, this is clearly a scam, but if you want to make money online, I'll teach you how. So it's kind of that. That's his, his hook, I guess. So I signed up for his free seven-day email course. The seven-day course teaches you about affiliate marketing. It's basically a content website, which is just rather than a website where people are going to the homepage to sign up for a service or they're going to the shop to buy something. A content website is basically a website where people are going to the website because they're reading an article, like maybe a blog post or a review or a guide. And they found that article maybe on social media or maybe predominantly through Google. So an affiliate website is just a type of content website where rather than plastering ads all over the page, they are reviewing products. So Amazon is the easiest one to understand. A very easy example. Anyone who's listening to this can type into Google something like best water filter. And I guarantee you the top 10 results are going to be affiliate websites and they'll have reviewed water filters, some of them fairly well, some of them not so well. 
and they might say, hey, this water filter is the best one. It's available on Amazon. And you click through, you go to Amazon, maybe you buy it. And if you do, the site owner gets a commission from Amazon. Steve's angle was more about building a site around your passions. So things like fishing was a good example. And he talked about why it's better to have a niche rather than a broad topic. And anyway, long story short, I built my first affiliate site and then I built my second affiliate site because the first site was terrible. And I kept doing that until I built a site that was slightly less terrible and started making some money. It took a lot longer than I expected. I think it took me about 18 months to get my first $1,000 month. But I got enough traction early on that I realized, hey, if I can make $100, I can probably make 1000 So all the while you're teaching English and then you're just coming home in the evenings or at your lunch break and working on your affiliate sites? Yeah. And it's quite funny, actually, because today I took the bus that I used to take every day to work. And it was kind of a a like, wow, moment where I, I realized I used to be on this bus every day going to my school with an iPad, trying to write as many articles as I could, like blog posts that I would then go home and upload to my site. And if I had a 30 minute break at work, I would write a blog post as well. I used to listen to Smart Passive Income, Empire Flippers podcasts, and just fantasize about the day when I could not have to take that bus to work every day. What sort of mistakes did you make in the early days when it came to the niches you were selecting? Probably every mistake possible. The first niche I selected was quitting smoking because I had just quit smoking. So it it kind of seemed relevant at the time, but it was a really competitive niche. And I didn't really realize kind of how to structure a site back then. And I always, I wasn't very good at selling. So I thought I had to kind of try to persuade people that one method was the only way. I had quit smoking with, I read Alan Carr's Easy Way to Stop Smoking, which it was just a a life-changing book because it stopped me smoking. So I would write all this content saying things like don't buy an e-cigarette and don't try and quit cold turkey. You should just buy this book. Whereas what I really should have done was just built a big website with lots of different information saying, hey, this could work for some people, this could work for other people, and just made it really information heavy rather than salesy. And then my next website, I actually made the same mistake. So my next website was about shaving and it actually ended up being a successful website. It made $2,000 a month and I ended up selling it. But when I first launched it, I originally wanted to review straight razors, like cutthroat razors. And I was basically saying safety razors don't work and all this other stuff. And then later I realized, well, actually not necessarily. Some people prefer electric razors. Some people prefer safety. So basically I stopped trying to be persuasive and more just like, hey, this is the information that you might need. And when I did that, my website started getting a lot more traffic and people bought a lot more things through my my affiliate links. The biggest mistakes I made early on were picking niches that were crazy competitive, but also just thinking I had to go like down a single product, very narrow angle rather than just being a very informative resource. Do you remember the moment when you decided to quit your job? Yeah, there were two moments actually. There was the moment where I actually did and the moment where almost one year to the day 
before I I did where I said I promise myself that a year from now this won't be a problem anymore. What was the problem? Uh, Chinese New Year was the problem. So basically, when I was teaching English, I didn't get paid a salary. I only got paid for the hours that I worked. And February was always quite expensive for me because Chinese New Year was about six or seven days off work. And then February 28th is a national holiday in Taiwan. And Valentine's Day, of course. And my partner, so then girlfriend, now wife, her birthday is February 22nd. And when you're not working, you tend to be spending more money on alcohol. So <laughs> basically, my February payday was about 22,000 NT, which is probably 700 US. And my rent was like 15,000 NT. So I basically just lost money that month. And I remember just being really frustrated with it because at the time, that was February 2013. So at the time, I had been on this kind of affiliate marketing adventure for about six-ish months. And I was only making one or two hundred dollars a month US. So I was really frustrated. And I was like, okay, a year from now, this isn't going to be a problem. You're going to be making enough where you can quit if you want to. And then January, so the next January, so 11 months later, my school owner actually retired and shut down the school that I worked at. So I kind of got what I wished for, <laughs> just not for the right reasons. Actually, back then I was, I was making 500 US a month now, so still not quite enough to support myself full time. But I didn't want to change schools because I'd probably have to pick up more hours. So I was in this situation where I was like, well, I'm not making enough to fully support myself online. I don't want to get another full-time job, so I don't really know what to do. And fortunately, some of my students didn't want to go to another school either. So they were like, how about you just tutor us at our house and we'll pay you like double what you would get at the school because it's a discount for them because they didn't have to pay the school fees. And I took on enough of those students, which was probably 10 hours a week, that I could dedicate the rest of my time to my online endeavors. And then basically I just, over the next year or so, I just let those students churn out. As they went down to zero, my online income went up to about three or 4,000 a month and, and it was all good. So in February, 2013, you're making 500 plus having the students. Over that next year, you quintupled or many multiple times doubled that income. Yeah, pretty much. It was really it was really interesting. So as I mentioned earlier, it took 18 months. It was about the middle of 2014 when I was making my first $1000 in one month and then at the end of the same year I think I hit 3000. And then early 2015 I hit 5000 and then I think May or June something like that I hit around 7 or 8 and at that point I was like yeah I can get into the DC because <laughs> I I think the requirement back then was you must be making 5000 a month I signed up and got in and then I was at the next DCBKK Yeah I know you know a lot of affiliate marketers how important was the fact that your living costs were relatively low in this whole equation I mean could this story have happened had you been based in the UK that's an interesting question. And I think probably it depends on individual people. It's kind of like that, that question, should you sell all your stuff and move to Chiang Mai before you have an income or should you build up an income and then move to Chiang Mai? 
And there'll be people who will be adamant for one or the other option. And then there'll be people who don't want to go to Chiang Mai at all. I would say it was very important because I probably couldn't have done this off the income I was on. But then maybe I would have gone and lived with my parents if I was in the UK. Maybe something else would have happened. There's kind of a survivor's bias with me. I definitely don't think it hurt that I had a low cost of living. Tell me about that year when you're starting to do freelance teaching. What were some of the breakthroughs that happened on your own business side that other entrepreneurs might be able to find instructive? There's the mindset side of things and the fact that I had more mental bandwidth to focus on my business. And then there's the actual things that happened as a result of that. So I think the mindset things were basically just, I had to make it work because I was literally earning just enough to survive every month. I wasn't just dedicating myself to writing articles and doing outreach and SEO and all of that stuff. I had a lot more time to actually reflect on what I should do. And I don't really know whether that worked or not. I just think that's probably something that helped. I think once you do something long enough, you just start to get a bit of traction. Like I remember one day I decided to write a review of flipper.com and it wasn't a particularly positive review. Just jumping in here for a tiny clarification. So Flippa is a platform where people buy and sell websites, businesses, domains, and apps, and all things related to internet business. I think it's fair to say that over their history, they've focused on transaction volume and serving the lower end of the market, which is to say there's a lot of assets on there that aren't established or even in many cases don't have revenue. So Flippa.com is distinguished quite a bit from a platform like the Empire Flippers, for example, which focuses more on businesses that are cash flowing and established. The idea was at the time I was doing human proof designs where we were selling done for you affiliate websites for people. And so my angle was kind of like flippers good, but you might get ripped off by a scammer. Why don't you buy something from us instead? And Justin Cook from Empire Flippers, he left a comment on that review. And it was the first time someone that I'd like heard of had left a comment. And I was like, wow, I've made it. <laughs> and so I reached out to Justin. And Justin actually was pretty awesome because he said, hey, yeah, I like what you're doing. Maybe we should have a Skype call sometime. And Empire Flippers weren't about to start promoting me or anything. But Justin did point me in the right direction of a bunch of other people I should try and connect with, such as Tung Tran, Spencer Hawes, John Haver, Doug Cunnington, a few other people in the space, basically. And again, he didn't write me any introductions or anything, but he kind of gave me the belief that if I just reached out to these people, I would start getting connections. And I did. And of course, some people were way too busy. They didn't give me the time of day, but other people did give me the time of day. And from there, I basically just networked my way to getting a lot more success and people mentioning me and allowing me to do guest posts for them. All right. There's two things in there I want to dig into. I want to get to the networking stuff, but there's an important strategic or technical change you made there where you went from building affiliate sites to building tools for those who are building sites. Can you talk about that? I guess it's kind of 
the whole don't dig for gold, sell shovels thing. I didn't really initially approach it that way. I think later on when I heard someone say that, I thought, oh, I'm doing that. The story where that started was I actually sold a website on Flipper for about $1,000. And I thought, oh, I liked that. I'm going to try and do that again. So I spent a lot of time on Flipper and I realized that there were a lot of people buying these kind of junk websites, these kind of starter websites that weren't really starter websites. They were just cookie cutter garbage websites that would say like, hey, buy, buy this site and you'll be a millionaire tomorrow. It's turnkey, that kind of thing. I was kind of thinking, why are people buying these garbage starter sites? And then I thought, well, maybe it's because they're looking for starter sites and that's the only thing that's out there. So I got the idea to just create actually legit starter sites instead. They were real sites in validated niches with a little bit of content on them and some keywords researched. And that was kind of the idea behind that. And so that was the business where I went from just doing affiliate sites to like kind of doing services for affiliate marketers. What happened when you started doing that? Not a lot. (laughs) For the first six months, I made the mistake of selling on Flipper and I was competing with people who were promising the moon. And I was saying, hey, if you work hard, you might make $500 a month in 18 months, just like me. So I also realized people didn't understand the value in my sites. I started just blogging more and content marketing on my own site and selling them on my own site. And that's where I kind of started with the networking and the outreach and everything. It seems like a lot of affiliate marketers get into it because they want to sit behind a computer and they don't want to be bothered by people and bosses and stuff like that. How important of an element is networking to having success as an affiliate marketer? That's a good question. I don't think it's essential, but I think if you're willing to do it, it can certainly, it's like steroids for your success. I know a lot of people who, internet marketers in general, but specifically affiliate marketers are are very introverted. And I certainly didn't get into internet marketing so that I could come on a podcast and talk about my story. But then I guess I got quite keen on doing that. My ego kicked in at some point and I enjoyed it. (laughs) When people actually started saying to me, if you want to get more links for your site, you should do outreach and guest posting. I was like, what are the other options I can choose? Because I'm allergic to that stuff. But honestly, I just got better at it and I realized it's so much easier if you can just do it. This week's show is sponsored by, wait for it, the Dynamite Circle, or the DC. Yes, often mentioned on the show, but rarely explained. So give me a minute to walk through some of the highlights. The DC has been around for over eight years and is a private community for established entrepreneurs. There is an application process. It's not super intimidating, but we want to get entrepreneurs in there that are the right fit. And that's not because we're elitists. Or swanky. It's just to make sure that every member has skin in the game because first and foremost, the DC is a community of peers. So unfortunately, it's not for beginners, but that's why we built Dynamite Jobs. Head on over there if you're just getting started out. And if we feel your business wouldn't get a lot of value out of being a part of the DC, we'll let you know up front. So here's the thing. We just opened up our ticket sales for DCBKK, our longstanding and I got to say pretty awesome event at a five-star hotel in Bangkok, Thailand. 
So if you were thinking about joining the DC and want an excuse to hang out in Bangkok with over 300 amazing entrepreneurs, head on over to the application form at tropicalmba.com slash DC to learn more because this will quite literally be a red carpet entry into the community. So what else is in it for you? We can place you in carefully matched online masterminds. You'll have access to free bespoke recruitment services via Dynamite Jobs, and you can seek and share advice in our private business forum. You'll also be able to buy tickets for our amazing aforementioned in-person events like DCBKK and in cities all around the world. But most of all, you'll be a part of people who really get the challenges that you're facing on a day-to-day basis. At our parties, you won't be facing very many confused looks about what it is you've decided to do with your life. So stop growing your business alone. If you're curious about the DC and about the types of people we're dedicated to pulling together, head on over to tropicalmba.com slash DC. I know that for a lot of people in the internet marketing space, this figure of making $10,000 a month is sort of like crossing the Rubicon and from you know making a living to like, hey, I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm a business owner. Do you remember when that happened for you and, and what your business looked like at that moment? I think it was probably towards the end of 2015. I definitely remember having that same kind of mentality where I was like, wow, if I can hit 10,000, I'll have made it. I'll probably buy a BMW or something. <laughs> it turns out it's never quite enough. When I first started, I didn't even think of 10,000 as a goal. I just wanted to make like three or 4,000. Generally, I was just getting some really good traction and some really good growth. And I'd hit this point where people suddenly were, it wasn't just one or two people like Justin mentioning me. It was suddenly lots of people mentioning me. And we were starting to get a few brand evangelists and people mentioning us in Facebook groups and stuff. And we, the affiliate marketing space is very, I don't want to say like faddy or hypey, but definitely things fall in and out of favor. And we were definitely in favor at the time and people were talking about us and So we actually kind of blew through 10,000. Like it was, let's say September, I did 5,000. I thought, awesome. And then October, probably 9,000. And then November, 13,000. And it was just weird. And I didn't really feel like I knew what I was doing, which sucked because then when things slowed down later on, I didn't know what buttons to push to accelerate them because I didn't really know what had accelerated them in the first place. It is this interesting moment when like maybe around the $10,000 mark is when a lot of businesses sort of grow sales and like there's forces that are bigger than you moving it. And it can feel very strange. Like all of a sudden you have a slow week, like personally, but your business is flying along and you're like, wait a second, like the gearing here doesn't feel right. That's a very fun and exciting and scary moment, I think. But I'm curious as to timeline. So like, I want to get the sense for it was the end of 2015 that you crossed the $10,000 mark. You started making your first dollar when? I'm going to say August or September 2012. Let us know where your business is at right now as we speak. It's May 2019 we're speaking. So Human Proof Designs did in the last two years, like 2017 and 2018, both those years it did just over a million dollars in revenue. So like 1.1, something like that. You've been on this kind of like slow 
start and then it was it was a hockey stick it feels like yeah i think 2016 was around 600 700k revenue and then 2017 was like 1.1 and then 2018 the revenue didn't grow as much because in 2018 we focused more on profitability because it turns out revenue is not the greatest target because you can you can grow revenue and reduce profit we focused a lot more on profitability so we i remember looking at a graph and it was like your sales are up three percent from last year but your profitability is up 20 percent or something like that so that was kind of what happened to us i guess it's the kind of maturation and normalization of the business like where it slows down a bit what was that hockey stick comprised of it sounds like you got at that ten thousand dollar mark you got a lot more focused on selling the tools as opposed to building sites or tell me tell me about what what it actually was going on there we just figured out services we figured out gaps in the market we figured out what people wanted and we got really good at selling it to them and then as the team grew we were able to add more services so the difference between that kind of 650k in 2016 to the 1 million in 2017 was i had a larger team so i had the ability to roll out all of the services that people had been asking for in previous years but i just didn't have the bandwidth to do so kind of like supplementary services that people needed. So things like SEO and content marketing and various other things in between. You've written that there's a lot of false information and lies about affiliate marketing on the web. So there's a difference between false information and lies, I guess. Like false information is probably more like misinformation. So lies is just, you know, people scam. People say, hey, you can make money with this new widget or gimmick or whatever, and it will make you a bunch of money without doing any effort. Misinformation is more a mixture of stuff changes quickly. So you could read a blog about how to make money online that was written 2014. You know, maybe it's completely irrelevant already. SEO itself changes very rapidly. The important thing, and I think when I was writing that, was I was trying to say, if you follow someone, make sure you follow someone who is still living and breathing what they're teaching. Because like, if they taught stuff like internet marketing in a university, and they probably do, unfortunately, but by the time the lecturers have written the course materials, it's already out of date. So what does it feel like to go from sitting behind your desk with a couple of freelancers, you've become a, a CEO of a business. What was that transition like? Do you remember the like hiring your first full-time employee? It was stressful and scary because I, no one teaches you these things. There was this fear, what happens if I hire someone and I'm not able to turn that income into increased sales? So like if, you know, if I'm making, let's say I sell a site for $1,000 and I'm making 800 if I hire someone and now I'm making 300, what if I'm not able to use my time to scale that into more sales so that I end up making more profit in the long run? What happens if, if we go out of business and I then have to fire that person? It's a weird transition and it's hard because you, at least for me, because I didn't really know what I was doing and I had this huge financial burden. When it's you and some freelancers and those freelancers are probably paid piecemeal you think, well, if I have a slow month, I just have lower expenses and I just won't pay myself as much, you know. And then suddenly when you've got like 50K a month in salaried staff or something like that, you think, well, if I have a slow month, 
that's going to suck. <laughs> so it is a complete change, but I think it's also just for me, it's just like a part of my entrepreneurial growth journey, I guess you make mistakes and you adjust and, and you get better. And it's always better when there's more people on your team. Not that necessarily keeping growing a team arbitrarily is better, but I mean, it's always better to not be alone, at least from my, my perspective. I want to pause just a moment to take a look at the arc that we're hearing in this story. And what Dom's entrepreneurial career can show us is that for so many of us, that journey looks like a little something, nothing, 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 grind, 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 and then it starts to waterfall and we start to see the success that motivated us in the very first place. So many folks can't push through for a variety of reasons, but I wanted to point it out because this is so often how it works and it can be really difficult emotionally and strategically to get through that grind period before we start seeing the fruits of our labor. You can just imagine Dom Beck creating small affiliate sites as a side hustle on the bus to work, starting to get some momentum and selling those sites a few years later to having a breakthrough moment, selling tools to people doing the same through his company, Human Proof Designs, which he's recently sold. How cool is that? And he created a new business focused on the higher end of the market called Onfolio. But before we get to all that, I wanted to ask Dom about his decision to sell human proof designs, which he also calls HPD. I can't really say it was like one thing. I think a lot of people struggle with should I sell? Should I grow? Should I automate it? Like, why am I motivated to sell? Is it is it a big exit or is it that I don't want to do it anymore? Or is it I've grown it as far as I can? I think you've talked about this in your book, I think, before the exit where you mentioned some people just kind of hit the peak of their competency. So maybe you can grow a business to a million dollars, but you don't have what it takes to grow it to two or to 10 or whatever. And so I think for me, I had all of the above. I felt like I had taken it as far as I could. I also felt like I wanted to do something else and I was holding it back because I was losing interest in it. I ran the business for six years and so I felt like that was a pretty good run. You know, I think ultimately the decision was I just didn't really want to do it anymore. And I'll never know whether, you know, the right decision was to sell it or whether I could have just figured out what would make me want to do it some more. But I also knew that I could sell it and I'd have like, you know, two and a half to three years to regret the decision because, <laughs> you know, that's how much your income is forwarded, right? But I think ultimately what made me say, okay, let's do it was I had this idea for Onfolio. It had been validated by my audience and I was like, I want to do it. What was the idea? I actually had this idea in 2014 and essentially I was looking at places like Empire Flippers where people were buying and selling sites and I was like, I don't have enough money to just buy a site of Empire Flippers for 50k Like at the time. Maybe someone else has the money but they don't really know how to run a website or how to run a, an affiliate website. So maybe I could partner up with someone where they float the money and I do all the work and we kind of do like a profit share type thing. And then... At the time, I thought that's not a good idea because I'm just a guy, a random 
half English teacher in Taiwan and I don't have a track record. I don't really have any authority in the space. And to be honest, I don't really at the time have enough experience. And then in the middle of 2018, I surveyed the human proof designs list and a bunch of people said stuff like, I've got the money to buy established websites off places like Empire Flippers, but I don't know how to do it. So if you could do a service where you partner up with people that could have legs. And I think three or four out of a couple hundred people mentioned that. And so I was like, oh, interesting. And then I just started speaking with those people saying, well, how would it look to you? What kind of a profit share would you want to give away? And then after a few months, I was like, wait a second, I had this idea four years ago. But I realized the difference now was I did have a name in the space. I did have a proven track record. I had experience dealing with like hundreds of freelancers and I had the ability to execute. I had noticed a lot more money coming into the space. I noticed that the space is is heating up quite a lot. Not quite institutional money, but like family offices, that kind of thing coming into the space. And I thought there could be a situation in 20, say 20 or 2021 where smaller guys can't necessarily pick up sites because they're getting trampled on by the guys that have say 500k to just drop on a site straight away so i thought well i'd rather be in a position in a few years where i can be maybe one of the people doing the trampling rather than one of the people being trampled in as nice a way as possible you know strategically then your perspective is that the new business that you have evolved into on folio serves the market at a higher level than the business that you sold which serves I think it's fair to say Human Proof Designs focuses on individual solopreneur affiliate marketers. Correct, yeah. So now you've built a business that focuses more on the investment class. Yeah, so it's a I don't want to sound like I'm belittling the Human Proof Designs customers or, or audience or anything because they're amazing and I owe a lot to them and I'll always still be like a customer of Human Proof Designs myself, but Yeah, you should be proud of it by the way. I feel like I, I'm leveling up the area that I'm serving. And it's also an area that I'm a lot more excited about. And it's an area that I'm still a lot more walking the walk as well, because I'm still actively buying sites myself. And obviously, I, you know, I got a windfall from selling HPD. So I've, I've already picked up a couple of sites with that cash. I can offer a lot more value in a much more unique way, I think is a good way of phrasing it. You are in a unique position in that you see so many people start off on the internet marketing journey. You're one of the ones that made it through. What is it that you feel that people don't understand at the outset? For me, it's just very much a case of, I think I succeeded because of tenacity and maybe some stubbornness and I guess a little bit of flexibility in the sense that I kept trying, but if something wasn't working, I wasn't afraid to try something else. And I guess I'm I'm always an optimist, so I was always like, this idea is totally going to work. And then when it didn't, I went, oh, well, the next one's totally going to work. <laughs> Eventually, I found one that kind of worked a little bit, and I was like, that'll do. When you see people like, I guess, Gary V and people saying, you know, if you want to succeed, you've just got to keep doing it, and you've got to hustle, and you've got to want it enough. I kind of cringe a little bit at stuff like that because I feel it's a bit insulting to some people being like, if you didn't succeed, it's because you didn't want it enough. But at the same time, that's absolutely the case with me. So I can't really disagree with it too much. Like I just, I wanted it so much and I just kept going so hard that I did eventually succeed. I think there will be other people out there who that 
maybe that isn't the case. Maybe they just kind of figured it out and strategically did something and it worked. The thing I saw most with affiliate marketers was success isn't linear and growth's not linear. So particularly with the journey that a website goes on, a website doesn't go from zero to $1,000 in the way that it's like it does $1 on day one and then $2 on day two and $3 on day three. It's more like it does nothing for ages and then suddenly your website starts getting a bit of success because some of the articles start ranking page one in Google. I always saw people quit and I'd say, your article's ranking position nine. Like you're almost there. You've got 10 articles in the top two pages. Just another month and maybe your website will make you some serious money. But they just don't see it because until you've experienced that, maybe you can't see it. And I think if you zoom that kind of mini thing out and apply it to entrepreneurialism overall, it's probably quite a similar story. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Let's talk about it then in terms of trends, Dom. I mean, affiliate marketing is always, like you mentioned, a very trendy space. What are the trends that you see right now that are important? I'm kind of seeing a couple of trends. One of those trends is maybe going back towards the kind of solo blogger in terms of what content performs well. So, you know, like back in 2007 and eight, it would be like a solo mum blogger or just an individual blogger. And it was quite easy to get traction. And then the trend was kind of towards more industry publications or just like more anonymous content and this kind of like generic affiliate content. And in some ways, I see that that is still always going to be there. And big teams, wellnessmama.com comes to mind because I was looking at it earlier today like where it's still got this kind of individual blogger feel, but it's very much a big team and they have like medical boards reviewing their content. But then at the same time, I'm seeing a lot of traction with these individual bloggers who are just blogging about their hobbies and their passions. And they're starting to get a lot of traffic on other platforms such as Pinterest. Maybe that's just where, where I am with a lot of my websites. So I see that more. And I think overall, as is always the case, content quality is always needing to be improved. SEO quality in terms of like not spamming your sites is always something that's going to need to be improved. It's a lot harder now to kind of put out these half-assed websites and just fail your way to the success. I think you need to focus on just doing a much better job because if you don't, then someone else is going to do a better job and they'll overtake you. It feels like, you know, tools and platforms for buying and selling businesses have added transparency to the affiliate marketing space. Would you put it that way? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I think the space is not yet kind of professionalized in the way that like other industries are, but a lot of these brokers and marketplaces and just quality blogs and conferences. Yeah. There's a lot more transparency now the quality of sites that you get on on brokers now compared to two or three years ago is is a lot higher. And of course, they cost more now. But I think the money is a lot less risky because of you just know a lot more of what's going on in the background. If someone's going to start their journey today, do you feel like affiliate marketing 
is still a good opportunity. I do, but I think it's not the opportunity. It was, it's not like the hot thing, just like FBA probably isn't the hot thing, but FBA is still very much a viable business. Affiliate marketing is still as well, but it's going to take you longer to succeed. And I think people aren't going to be able to just throw up a website and throw up some backlinks and make a bit of money. I think you can still bootstrap it for sure. You're going to have to go at it with the mindset of, I want to succeed and I'm going to do it the right way. And it might take me two years, but I want to do it. Then yeah, absolutely. That That's still a viable business. I have a very difficult question for you now, which is if you could think back to people that were in your position, getting started out or struggling through their first few years, paying the rent and things, what sort of advice do you have for them? I think maybe not so much if it's someone who's struggling to pay the rent, because I think if you're struggling to pay the rent, you should probably find a more immediate solution to that. But definitely people who are in a position where they're kind of sick of where they are and they want to improve their life. I would say you have to commit to it as much as you can and whether or not that means doing 10 hours a day like I did or whether it's just two or three hours a day like whatever the maximum is you know people have commitments and they have children and jobs and stuff but when you kind of commit your mind to it and use all of your available mental bandwidth to focus on it you do kind of start to align yourself with where you want to be that will ultimately lead to you finding a way to get more time and finding you the right idea and the right business model for yourself. I do think your story is a fine representation of how this journey has been for so many of us. You know, it is true that you do all this work with very little positive feedback at the beginning. And we're talking about you're describing 10-hour days for years before anything viable is happening what's in your mind that would make you do something so insane? You know, like what's, what's sustaining your belief system while you're enduring these long work days? So what I did was I just kind of collected up these little wins and these little positive pieces of feedback and stored them in a confidence bank that I was able to take a withdrawal from whenever I felt like throwing in the towel. Just something small like Justin Cook from Empire Flippers leaves a comment on your blog or you suddenly get an affiliate commission in your account or, hey, look, that random keyword that you didn't really care about is on page one now. Just all these small little wins where if you put enough of them together, you do start to gain that belief and eventually the bigger feedback does start to come in. That's definitely what kept me through the dark times. Dom, appreciate your time and thanks for dropping by the pod to share your story today. No problem. Thanks for having me. A big thanks to Dom for swinging by the show to share this story for entrepreneurs. I felt it talking to him through this. I thought about my own journey and so many of the stories that I've heard from listeners of this show. It's interesting to think, you know, if you were to go back to Dom on the bus as the teacher and describe to him what ended up happening, it's, it's both this weird mix of, on the one hand, a dream come true, and on the other hand, highly unpredictable. 
So entrepreneurship can be this strange mix of having to have the vision and the energy to get out the door and to apply your knowledge in everyday action and knowing that it's going to lead somewhere, but also you don't know where it's going to lead. You know you got to catch a break or there's a tangential opportunity or something pops up as a result of your work that maybe doesn't look like where you thought you were going to go and you take the opportunity and you take advantage of it. That's often how it works out in entrepreneurship. We got to sometimes have to push through that murky grind of a few years until we reach that critical breakthrough and uh, build the business that we envisioned in the very beginning. So Dom, thanks for sharing your story on this show. If you want to check out the show notes, links to everything mentioned in today's discussion, go check it out, tropicalmba.com slash Dom Wells. And we will be back as always with another story next Thursday. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.